0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where not only do we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know, but we also get inside the minds of those that are boots on the ground in whatever part of the world they're in all day, every day. And right now I have two very good people from the great state of Louisiana, Shreveport to be exact, Miss Constance Love and Derek Henderson of the podcast Circle of Truth welcome guys to beyond the album cover thank you thank
1: you thank you for having us
0: not a problem so how are you guys doing tonight and i appreciate you all taking the time out of your busy schedules to do this interview with me
1: i found i took a nap today because i'm a political junkie and so, for the last four or five days, I've been uh, my sleep has been broken, uh, like I, uh, <laughs> most of the country, you know, trying to see had those numbers come in yet. And so you've been waiting
0: on yet. pins and needles.
1: Uh, well, not necessarily uh, pins and needles, because I knew how the uh, vote would 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 uh, unfold, but just waiting on the and anticipating them uh, making the call.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. How about so? Yourself, I'd be Constance? up
1: every two hours or so.
0: Mm-hmm. How about for you, Constance?
2: Well, I'm a claims adjuster by trade. And so hurricane season has extended. Well, I mean, what I should say is hurricane season normally ends November the 30th. However, 2020, we've seen some unusual situations. So I ended up traveling today and I'm staging because Hurricane Etta is supposed to hit Florida. So I'm in Birmingham right now. Waiting to see where my deployment's going to be. So, But I, too, have been on pins and needles as well for more than one reason, um, because I was just concerned, especially with me going out in the field and interacting with people, I was just concerned that, you know, if Trump did not win, what I was going to have to deal
0: with. So that's a level of anxiety for me. Yeah, because as we're seeing right now, the country is very divided, especially in the area where I'm in New Mexico is very Republican. So I saw a lot of Trump caravans rolling around with the flags and everything. So it's very tense. But um, we're all about fun stuff here Beyond the Album Cover. So we're going to sweep away the political talk, and we're going to talk about a lot of music, a lot about Louisiana culture and everything of that whole nine yards. So first up with Constance, tell the people a little bit about yourself, about Shreveport and how the culture in that part of Louisiana is totally different from New Orleans, Baton Rouge, the seven area of the state. And then, Derek, same question to you after Constance.
2: So what I will say is this. I'm definitely not the authoritarian on the Shreveport culture. So I'm going to have to slide that over there to Derek. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm i originally from the Midwest. And um, I guess about 25 years ago, or maybe a little more than that, I might be dating myself. <laughs> I ended up moving from Missouri to Texas. So I've lived in Texas. I lived in Texas for couple of decades and then I ended up moving to Louisiana and I believe that the Shreveport area is really mm, no different than Texas. I mean what I found is this that everyone loves to cook Uh, in addition to that they love uh, to sing I've heard some amazing, amazing voices come out of karaoke. Uh, if someone, if you can not sing, do not go and try to sing a karaoke. Those people will laugh and boo you. Because, I mean, it's just like you go to karaoke and it's just like you're in a live concert. Uh, I think the culture, the mindset in Louisiana is a little different than what I'm accustomed to in Missouri. What really helped me understand the culture in Missouri, I mean, in Louisiana, is when I watched the movie a few years ago, 12 Years of Slave. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Henderson? Because I, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, so yeah, so like I'm from the Midwest. I had to start telling people in Louisiana that there was nothing Southern about me so that to try to give them a different perspective of me whenever I interact with them. And sometimes, you know, giving people like a disclaimer, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But Louisiana is different. Definitely very rich in culture, very talented people. Um, but they're a
1: little different. We haven't quite discovered ourselves yet. Is
2: that what it is? I, I You know, I don't want to say.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, no, but the, th- the thing that I, I would say about Shreveport to answer his question, I think Shreveport has some of the best and worst of everything. And sometimes uh, it could be the best and the worst all at the same time. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you know what I'm talking about, Constance. Uh, but like she said, we have good food, we have uh, good people, and we have a lot of talented individuals here. If you want to uh, uh, really uh, uh, get some good singing, um, some live entertainment, then Shreveport, Louisiana has just about some of the best that I've seen. Uh, and I think about, I, to me, the, the, the best solo singer that I've seen personally in person uh, is Eddie Spencer. And then you talk about uh, Jonathan Jewett and even La- Larry Ellis, uh, who toured with Patty LaBelle. Um, I mean, we've had some really, really talented people in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana in that way. Uh, we are known as Louisiana's other side and as Constance uh, alluded to, we are more Texas than we are uh, which people traditionally think of as Louisiana, uh, they think of more of the Creole Cajun type of uh, uh, culture when they think of sh- of, of Louisiana, uh, and we are slowly incorporating. Um, I think as the years go by, as the days go by, and the years go by, uh, we're becoming more and more uh, Cajun. At least uh, Creole is something that's unique and uh, uh, I think specific uh, to the New Orleans area. Uh, but we are becoming more Cajun. Uh, we have embraced the uh, Mardi Gras season in uh, North Louisiana. Our parades are different because more our, our parades are more family-oriented, I would say. Uh, uh, but you know, it's still a good entertaining time. Um, and then there's a there 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 are lots to do in Shreveport, Louisiana. I will say that. Um, Um, nobody's in a hurry to do anything. It's like a status quo. And that can be frustrating uh, at times, but I choose to live in Shreveport because it's my home. Uh, I've lived uh, away before, uh, but it's something about Shreveport that just draws me here. And so my prayer to God is to uh, reveal that to me real quick and let me be working in that lane really quick.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with Shreveport, from what it sounds like, you're not going to go hungry. You're going to find somebody always cooking or somebody saying, Yeah, yeah, come on, let me fix you a plate. Or at least say, I'm going to go to this grocery store and put half on something so I can earn my keep and not just freeload off the food like bro man from the fifth floor.
1: Well, we have that too now. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: oh, we forgot course. about the alcohol. We forgot about the alcohol. Like, uh, like you can just drive up and get alcohol up until what time of night is it one in the morning probably i think so i think so but yeah we we have drive-through
1: uh liquor stores yes uh, daiquiri shops you can get a daiquiri uh and i mean so we encourage people to drive and drink or to drink and
0: drive exactly (laughs) but drive responsibly (laughs) be sure to have a dd call a uber call a lyft and That's for those of you that partake in of the spirits, not me per se, but for those of you that do, just know that Louisiana is the place for you. So now, as far as further south, like Baton Rouge, New Orleans, you know, that area, you know, everybody internationally knows of that area because of whether it's Grambling or Southern's Band, Cash Money, No Limit. You know, Tremay, that was on HBO a couple years back, and then Spike Lee's documentary of When the Levees Broke about Hurricane Katrina. Now, during that time period in the early 2000s, did your area of Louisiana see a lot of influx of people from southern Louisiana coming further north? Because I know from the documentary and on CNN, they were saying that a lot of people from that part of the state were dispersing, like, to Houston and various parts of the country once Katrina hit.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm... Had friends and colleagues and um, uh, fraternity brothers uh, that were displaced. Uh, oh, what fraternity. what
0: what fraternity? May I ask? I'm not a member. I'm gonna throw that out there. I may know some people who are members of whatever three letters you rep.
1: No, well, cap, cap, Psi. So, fraternity shout out to.
0: The fellas with the canes, the shimmying, and uh, go 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 ahead and throw the sign up, throw the sign up,
1: throw the the sign up. Look, the shimmying is for the young young people. I mean, that, that that's 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 a new generation. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't, well, I, I assume it, but I can't get all the way down with. Yeah. No more. I'm not, I'm not <laughs>
0: 26 anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not a running joke that Kappa's is the fraternity for the pretty boys. Like, if you get waves and you constantly keep your hair brushed, you are probably Kappa material. And Shout out to all my friends in the D9, wherever you're, aka, shout out to Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who is an aka, shout out to Delta Sigma Theta, Zeta Phi Beta, Phi Beta Sigma, Alpha Phi Theta, Alpha Phi Alpha, Omega Psi Phi, all of the D9 organizations for all the community service work that they do in and out of their respective communities. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you, thank you. thank yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I lost my train of thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did want to join one of those organizations at a point in time. I will tell you about it more after this about that. And um, there's still a possibility. You may never know. But um, you were saying how you knew a lot of people who ended up getting displaced due to Katrina and they were kind of dispersed out all over the U.S.
1: Right. So people literally went to work that morning and, you know, whether they were able to finish their shifts or, you know, whether they had to leave school early. I mean, they literally at a moment's notice, Um, had to evacuate and grab what you can a lot of people what you could fit in a car um, and you just had to scramble and uh, a lot of people were depressed Um, a lot of people had uh, some some mental anguish uh, especially because New Orleans is rich in culture uh, and it is a diverse place and so when you 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 come uh, to a place uh, uh, you have to move and relocate and reestablish, you know, not of your own volition. Uh, it, it took a toll on, on, on a lot of people. Some people adjusted well, well, uh, but a lot of people did not, and um, they looked for the opportunities to go back uh, home because New Orleans is unique, you know, uh, in its food and its culture, the way that they operate in business. I mean, it's just a totally different place, and so um Yeah, we 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 had a lot of people to experience uh, uh, displacement, and uh, so you know.
0: Yeah, because looking at the documentary and just hearing how you know a lot of people they've been living there all their lives, and they don't necessarily have the means or the transportation to be able to pick up and go because you may not have family in northern Louisiana or Texas or anywhere for that matter. Or you look at the fact that I survived this hurricane. This is not gonna be as bad as that one. But then when it comes and you see the neighborhoods flooded, people for days wearing the same clothes, not being able to bathe, their bodies floating, kids who have not had diapers changed and it just breaks your heart and it just shows you the disparities in our country between the haves and the have nots because on the nice side of the city, the levees didn't touch over there, but in the areas where it's a lot more lower middle class or what have you, that's what tended to be blood prone, and everybody was packed into the Superdome like sardines.
2: Right, 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 right.
0: Mm, right.
2: Yeah. I guess one thing, one thing I always tell people, uh, because I am in the industry, if you're ever given the warning to evacuate, I think it's important to evacuate. Even if it means that you have to go spend the night somewhere and you might have to spend 50 bucks or $100, you know, to drive there and get a hotel room or drive to your nearest family, to me it's worth it. And opposed to waiting to the last minute, because I think that's what happened in Katrina. They, they Some of them waited to the last minute and it, they couldn't get out.
1: You know, and it, and, does it cost more if you wait to the last minute? You think?
2: Well, I think it costs more from the standpoint of trying to the 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 time it takes when they're trying to make a mass exodus out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm look at Katrina and then look at Harvey. Mm-hmm. They they told people to leave Harvey, and mm-hmm. it ended up being where people were on the top of their roofs. Or they had to go to the second level of their home, and then take you know take canoes and wait in the water to leave. Mm-hmm. And if they had just heeded the warning, I mean that that's that's my professional advice to anyone. If they say ma- uh, mandatory evacuation, don't wait. It, it, if they just say you know hey, there's a high probability and that you might want to evacuate, evacuate. Mm-hmm, don't so. don't wait till the last minute.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely don't do that. Now I want to ask you this, Constance, since you are a claim adjuster. Now, if you live in a high risk area where you're more prone for hurricanes and flooding, um, does homeowner insurance cover any damages, or does that vary on your policy and what state your policy is in?
2: So when it comes to flood, homeowner's insurance does not cover flooding. You, you do need to take additional insurance out for that. And so if you're in a zone for flooding, <clears throat> yeah, you need to take the insurance out. If you are close to a levee, and if it's made available to you, take it. The saddest thing about Houston and the majority of my claims were out there in Katy. And Katy's a very, very nice area you would see these people here with probably a quarter to a million dollar homes and they lost everything. Wow. And they were waiting on FEMA and FEMA, their cap may be $30,000. And then they, you know, depending upon what your credit is, they send you to go get a loan. So flood insurance is really not expensive at all. So yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, yeah, Making you know, recommending people take out flood insurance. And as far as hurricanes are concerned, um, people really need to evaluate their hurricane deductible. You know, in 2020, what Louisiana, the Baton Rouge area, they were hit twice, and a, quite a few people had a five percent deductible. So we were looking at people that had anywhere from maybe. $5,000 to maybe $11,000. And sometimes it was a little more than that. So that meant if those, if their bills or the damages didn't exceed that amount, nothing was paid. Mm, so you so would, that's you just hmm. out, out of luck if you didn't meet that deductible. Right. So one thing that I think people really need to understand that deductible is your out-of-pocket expense. And um, you definitely need to review your policy with your agent. I mean, if it's available for you to reduce your deductible down to 2%, your premium, you know, may go up $20, it may go up 30 it may go up 50 But if you look at it, you know, weigh the pros and cons, it's probably worth paying the extra premium each month. So that you know something happens, you're covered. Either that, or if your deductible is, say, for instance, five thousand dollars, make sure you either have five thousand dollars in the bank or have access to five thousand
0: mm-hmm. dollars better to be safe than sorry and like I was saying earlier I'm originally from North Carolina so I know a little bit about hurricanes myself I'm a little further inland away from the Outer Banks but when hurricane season comes I tell folks like man I've been through hurricanes it's nothing unless the hurricane wants to curve further inland we only get the remnants of wind and rain but on the rare occasions where we do get hit it's just hunker down make sure your phone is charged for a couple of days have your non-perishable food items your survival kits and make sure that everything Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. is good to go. Now, Derek, I want to come back to you, and I want to talk about what is the connection with the French culture as to why Louisiana is the only state in the U.S. where you have parishes while the other 49 states in the U.S. have counties?
1: Well, I, it, uh, because of the uh, Louisiana Purchase, uh, and you know, um, um, the when the French uh, purchased uh, Louisiana it extended from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Canadian uh, bo- uh, uh, borderline. And uh, but when when it was broken down and resolved, and uh, they decided, you know, what Louisiana would be comprised of, they just made a choice to have parishes and not and not counties. But it, a, a parish functions the same as the as, as the county. Uh, we are the uh, uh, like, like, I live in Cattle Parish, which is the, uh, the same as Orange County. Uh, you know, so we have a parish government uh, that uh, functions very much just the same as county government. Uh, you know, our sheriff is a, is a parish uh, wide uh, official, our district attorney is a parish wide official. Um, so, uh, so, we're not any different than any other place except we call ourselves parishes and they call themselves counties.
0: Mm -hmm. and that's how the laws are a little different how how so Constance how are the laws different in Louisiana Since you have parishes instead of counties
2: well I mean we're dealing with the Napoleon law which means if someone is going to go to law school and they go to law school in Louisiana then they have to take when they go to go to take the bar in another state the laws are a little they are a little different Mm. So, yeah. So, I mean, and that's something Derek and I both are interested in is, is law school. And what I've always struggled with is that, you know, if I went to law school in Louisiana, you know, um,
0: yeah. There's <laughs> so a little Do bit more wrinkles that have to be added in because of the extra formalities with Louisiana law. Been in my life in Louisiana, so therefore I don't want, huh? Say that again. I was just saying it's just a little extra wrinkles that's added in because of state law, correct? Yeah, yeah. Now, did both of you complete your undergraduate or graduate degrees in Louisiana?
1: No, I did. I did. did What
0: school did you go to?
1: You said it earlier, Grambling State, the Grambling State University. He did not say anything. Yes, he did. He said that. He talked about. I mentioned
0: Grambling and I mentioned Southern (laughs) about the Bayou Classic. Now, Grambling University, for those of you that don't know, great marching band, Doug Williams and the late, great Eddie Robinson. Google him if you don't know who Eddie Robinson is. And where did you go for undergraduate concerts? So I went to Northwood
2: University, which is in, well, actually they're based out of Michigan, but they have a school in Florida and one in Cedar Hill. So it's a very, it's a PWI, but it's a very, very
0: um, solid, well-known business school. Yeah, I went to a PWI myself, North Carolina, went to University of North Carolina at Greensboro, which is right up the street from North Carolina A&T and 45 minutes down Interstate 40 from Winston-Salem State University. Now, Derek, since you are an alum of Grambling, I know it may be a biased question to ask, but who has the best marching band amongst all HBCUs? In the nation? No.
1: Well, I mean, the world-famous uh, Grambling uh, State University uh, Tiger Marching Band. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yeah, for I mean, those of you
0: that are unfamiliar I mean, with I mean, Southern I mean. culture and HBCUs, halftime is game time. Everybody don't want to watch the game, but as soon as that clock hits zeroes at halftime, you are sitting because you are going to get a show. Because my high school that I went to in North Carolina, we pretty much modeled our show style after HBCU marching bands, where you're gonna get the showmanship, the choreography, doing the popular songs of the day in your repertoire in those formations. You had to be really tight. Now, I play sports, I didn't do band because I'm rhythmically inclined and I couldn't play an instrument, but I sure enjoyed the music when I heard it coming through the locker room at halftime, though.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, we go to the games uh to see the band and uh, uh, uh and, and of course we have the best uh tailgates. Uh bar none. I mean, you know, we go uh in the game at the beginning of the second quarter. Uh and then uh we watch halftime and then you know, uh it's back to the tailgate. <laughs> mm, yeah. Of we not- want to know, know who won and we you know, we're encouraging the players in that way, but uh it's just a extraordinary part of the whole experience and so uh people go for that experience
0: mm, now i want to ask you guys this question so anybody could take it or give your thoughts upon it and trade it off as you go so what's your take on deon sanders taking the head coaching job at jackson state mm. <sighs> I,
1: I, <laughs> Do you sound I, you know, like
0: you want to say something that's PC and don't well, want well, to a man? Well, I can, I you know can
1: tell it. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm pro-HBCUs and I think that um, um our talents uh certainly needs to uh uh be at places uh where it could be fully developed. Uh uh and appreciate it. And uh so I think Deion going there is actually a good thing. It'll bring uh uh attention to uh those players who uh may not necessarily get that extraordinary uh, attention uh otherwise so I I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good.
0: Mm, so Constance for you. I have no comments. Okay, that's the PC way of saying if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. But me, I I'm feel trying so hard. You never yeah. told
1: me, but what what so wait a minute, wait a minute. Constance, what? you never told me what what we never talked about
0: that so just why, why, what And Crawl reminds one of them. Yeah, we will I mean
2: there's really nothing to know. I mean spill For all starters, starters. the tea. Huh? Spill all the tea. I mean, I don't have any tea. I wish I did. I mean, I just, I think he's very flamboyant and cocky and arrogant. Mm
1: -hmm. That's prime time.
2: And yeah, so kind of like in the height of his career, I was in Dallas. And I don't know. But I mean, if he can help springboard the career of a young male, then that's a positive thing.
0: Mm, I definitely agree that it's going <laughs> to put a lot of eyeballs on HBCUs. And as we're seeing now with the tensions going on at PWIs, HBCUs are seeing an increase in enrollment at HBCUs. And maybe they'll matriculate with a lot more three, four, five star recruits saying, hey, instead of going to Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, I'm going to go to Jackson State, Prairie View, A&M, A&T, mm-hmm. Winston-Salem State, and we can be just as good, if not better, than those that are in the SEC. I mean, before
1: we start going to PWIs, that's where all your talent came from What's the HBCU. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, that was the only game in town. But once the PWIs figured out, like, hey, if I go get this guy from this area and bring him to my campus, I can make this. And the kids are like, I'm going to go to this bigger school because this bigger school can offer me more than what you can. And I could possibly be a top five, top 10 first round pick and pick a sport. It's almost like this person's ice is colder if you catch my drift.
1: Isn't that that kind of the way America was set up with uh, Superior? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, the person's ISIS is colder. If you don't know what that is, try to read between the lines. And I also recommend you read Wim Roden's book, $40 Million Slaves. And while we're on the subject of athletes and speaking out and using their voices for good, what was your take on seeing what the NFL athletes, NBA athletes, WNBA, and across respect to sports leagues with everything that's been going on and flexing their muscles saying, hey, we're not going to be silent. We're not going to shut up and dribble. We are more than just athletes. So
2: do you want me to speak on that first? Yeah, you can go ahead and or take it first. And then, yeah, you, you go okay. ahead and speak first, Constance, and then Derek, same question to you. So first, I would like to preface this by saying that this we talk about Oh, we That you're not going to hear about on mainstream media. Okay. So, having said that, I am a huge, huge fan of Kaepernick. Okay. And I am very, very disappointed in the fact that it took what, two or three years for the WNBA, for the NFL. in the NBA to stand in solidarity with Kaepernick. And I think that they are fake and I think it's bogus and that it's a trend because when he first kneeled, they should have been kneeling along with him. And that would have really resonated in the community. And I don't think it should have taken George Floyd's death, for them to start saying it's a problem. So yeah, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of that at all. And if we're gonna be on open and honest, and the Muhammad Ali was an athlete, he used his platform to talk about social injustice. Uh, What is his name, last name? Brown? Brown, That was a football player? Jim Jim Brown, Jim Brown. 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 He used his platform, yes. So athletes and actors and actresses have always used their platform to talk about social injustices. So now we have a generation of African-American athletes who refuse to stand out and speak, and I have an issue with that. That's probably not what you expected to hear.
0: But is your but I
2: opinion,
0: an and I'll take that. So, Derek, same question to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but,
1: you know, I I, I I agree with Constance. I think that you you know, when given a platform. Um, Along with resources, um, you needed. They needed to spring into action. Um, Colin Kaepernick lost his career uh, because he he did. He, he stood along and uh, his scenario probably would have been uh, or ended uh, very differently if there was more solidarity uh, from from other people. Um, that are professional athletes, you know, um, you know, it, I, I agree with Constance again, you know, um, I mean, we saw George, what happened to George Floyd on, on, on tape and that reaction, uh, caused people to take a, take a stand. And so I'm just wondering, uh, and I already know because, you know, not, because they didn't stand up about the ones that they didn't see, right? And so we just happened to see George Floyd, and it was shocking. And you know, I don't know what their pure motives were, um, but I think that everybody had to react and to respond, and you know, that could have been. A convenient way for a lot of them to respond. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they put up any money, any resources. Uh, if they reached out to uh, any professional people who could develop programs, or, or uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I just, I just don't know. Uh, um, I'm trying to be politically correct. I mean, you know, I I, I just thought that it was too little, too late, I I guess. So you
0: felt that it was safe now that it's kind of like, it's okay now to speak out and not really get any repercussions behind it. Because I'm going to be frank. Nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to stand out on that island alone with no sheet to protect them. Because you know when you're the first, you're going to be by yourself. Craig Hodges mm-hmm. stood up and was blackballed from the NBA. Mahmoud abdul Rayouf, formerly known as Chris Jackson, got blackballed. So when you are the first to do something, you're not embraced. You are out there all alone and it's those that come after you that are doing it that feels where it's okay because you were willing to take one for the team and sacrifice money, career. It's okay for me to do it. Not to say it's wrong, not to say it's right, but I just look at it that for some, you know, it's all about protecting this rather than I'm gonna forsake protecting this and whatever endorsements I have, stand on the principles of what's right and sacrifice everything. And that's what Kaepernick did; he sacrificed everything.
1: And 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 and, and, and to your point, I you know that's 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 real. You know, uh, people are limited to. Um, their means of making a living and uh you know so that is a lot you know to to maybe expect uh but then use the power of your platform and the power of your resources and the power of your money to invest in people who are willing to be on the front lines who are willing to stand up and take a take a stance and so i again you know, I I think that it could have gone a whole lot differently. Right. Um, so.
2: Yeah, even, I mean, so even, I mean, they could have, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, it really, uh, so I'm not the one out of the two of us that are, that are politically correct. I'm just very blunt. Uh, to the point. Very much to the point. I mean, I, I, I they're disingenuous. You know, and and if any of them watch this show, my name is Constance Love, feel free to reach out to me. And I have no problems whatsoever inviting you onto the show, having the conversation. You know, I I feel like, I mean, even now, I am a Cowboy fan. Jerry Jones does not have, what is that, a quarterback? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: He refuses to bring Kaepernick. Now, Kaepernick was not the best
0: quarterback,
2: okay, he by now. any huh? He,
1: he was pretty, he was really good. Yeah,
2: so he, I mean, but my thing is, I mean, they could bring him out. I mean, they they finally apologized to him. So give him an opportunity to go back out there and play again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, that that's what I feel like. And I feel like his team, the, the, the players, the other people in the industry, I feel like they should to rally behind him but Mm. hey um, if we didn't have people like Harriet Tubman if we didn't have oh my god what's the lady's name Stacey Adams everyone's talking about right now Stacey Abrams if we didn't yes if we didn't have those people I mean where would we be now so may I may I may I hijack
0: this platform for a minute Go, go ahead. Stand on the soapbox. It's all yours. Let me stand. Let me stand. Look, I'm short, you guys. That's why I'm I, I understand. I'm vertically challenged as well.
2: Yeah, I'm short. So, can I tell you what one of my favorite favorite interviews was? Go ahead. So, we had an interview with the president of Gramlin
0: mm-hmm.
2: and W.E. Du Bois's great-grandson wow so W.E. Du Bois was one of the co-founders along with Ida B. Wells and I apologize the other lady's name for the NAACP and I just don't even know what to say so what I liked number one from that interview is the fact that W.E. Du Bois' grandson, Arthur McFarlane, connected with what is we, President's name? We, we, Rick <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Horrible. So he's going to invite him to Gremlin. W. E. Du Bois' grandson will have an opportunity to go to Gremlin and speak. And I think that young African Americans, need to sit down and hear the softer side, and also hear some history of one of the most iconic persons that we've had in our culture. W.E. Du Bois was one of the first, or he he did the first study on African-Americans. He wrote, It's called the Philadelphia Negro. And I don't remember the numbers, but he interviewed, I want to say, over 9,000 African-Americans in Philadelphia, okay? Philadelphia or Pennsylvania was one of the states that everyone paid attention to in this election, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, when W.E. Du Bois went into the black families and he identified what some of the key deficiencies that we have in the African-American community, guess what? It's 2020. We have those same problems. And some more. (laughs) We do, we do. And we need leaders. I don't believe that the young generation truly understands the struggles that African Americans have gone through, I don't think they truly understand what is needed to take us to the next generation. So I think it's imperative, yes, that W.E. Du Bois's grandson and, and others sit down and have those conversations with our young people.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I implore anybody, if you definitely want to know the history, go check out the African-American Museum in D.C., the Smithsonian, great museum, the National Civil Rights Museum out of Memphis, another great museum, and then the International Civil Rights Museum out of Greensboro, North Carolina, which was the site of the sit-in movement with the Greensboro Four at North Carolina A&T. You don't know where you're going so you know where you've been now Mm -hmm. on to the softer side enough of the hard stuff okay we're gonna go to the softer side. so what was your guys's take on when you first heard cash money and no limit and then they exploded nationally because if you look at what master p and baby and slim did was that they had the entrepreneurship of saying hey i'm gonna take this localized sound sell it out the trunk of my car make the labels come to me And then everybody else nationwide and later on internationally is going to understand what we do down in New Orleans. And anybody can take it. You know,
1: when I first heard uh, the kind of music and what they had going on, I was like, wow, this this is fresh. You know, when we would be in the club and, um, you know when Juvenile would come on, and uh, uh, I remember when Back That Thing would come on, and all the brothers be running out to the floor trying to find the nearest woman. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, Masterpiece make them say, hmm, na-na-na-na, You know, but uh, when all that came on, it it was different. It was fresh, and uh, uh, it it caught your attention. And uh, uh, he certainly had a story because people were well, always kind of infatuated with uh, the, the French, uh, Creole uh, culture of New Orleans, but not the Calio projects, that part of New Orleans, which is a really big part of, of the culture. And so it, they brought you there. You know, you got to see um, uh, up close and personal uh, what it was like, at least for me, for the first time to really pay attention uh uh, to people who had those experiences and um he was a he was a uh he is a businessman i mean he saw and knew the value of his product uh which is good he did not sell out and he did not under uh value or underestimate himself he stuck with it and became you know a multi-millionaire uh and built a brand and a company uh so who knows to to master p i mean that that that. You know, I have nothing bad to say about Master P.
0: Mm, How about for you, Constance? Thoughts about Master P and uh, Cash Money Records?
2: So I don't really know a lot about him. I mean, I enjoy his music. And um, his movie came out, what was that, about a couple of months ago? But that was in the middle of storm season, so I didn't really get an opportunity to to dive into it. Mm -hmm. I do know that he um, has had some collaborations with a few people in Shreveport. So, yeah, yeah, and I I think, um,
0: yeah, my take is is
2: probably a little... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's a a little on the saucy spicy side so we're going to save that for Hot Ones and I'm going to say for Master P what he did was when he was able to go to Priority Records and say I want an 80-20 split and for those of you that don't know 80-20 is that I keep 80% of the profits you as a label get 20 and when one was looking at the No Limit Chronicles how they were just cranking out product every month and then when he released that I'm about it on VHS that uh he sold it at ten dollars a tape. So two million of them got to keep all of the money, every last bit of it. And when I saw the Super Bowl commercial, believe this year with the Turbo Tax, all people are tax people, I was like, look you here at Madison Avenue trying to gentrify New Orleans bounce. Only thing missing that commercial was Big Frida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, at least you had the you know, New
1: Orleans. But, but, you know, New Orleans Bounce actually started with uh, DJ Jubilee. Uh, do the Jubilee uh,
0: All, do the Jubilee yeah. All,
1: correct? Yeah, yeah. And he, he is a noob, nope. and he went to Grammar State. the Grammar State University. So, you know. but uh, Oh,
0: my God. He's yeah. a Kappa. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: But the one thing about that commercial, I was like, at least you guys got the Trigger Man sample, right? because it's not a Bounce record unless you have the Trigger Man sample. And Trigger Man is not even the name of the record. The name of the record is Drag Rap by the Showboys. And I believe they were based out of New York, actually. But that record ended up being a staple in Bounce, because you cannot hear a Bounce record without hearing that sample. Because I believe Juvenile put out a Bounce record before he took off nationally. And pretty much every bounce record that came out had to have Trigger Man or still has Trigger Man in it in order to be considered a bounce record. Now, I was looking at a documentary called Hip Hop Evolution, and this one guy that was interviewing various people in and around New Orleans area, interviewed Manny Fresh. And Manny Fresh was talking about how his dad was one of the first mobile DJs in Louisiana And that before he linked up with Cash Money, he put out this record with another guy who I can't recall. It was a record called Buck Jump Time. And they said that when that record got played at the club and when they shouted out whatever ward you from or whatever side you were from, that was like, get out the way. Don't be in the middle because it's going to be some head cracking. What was the name of the song again? The name of the record is called Buck Jump Time. I believe the guy's name, I want to say Gregory D. Don't quote me, but I know it's uh Manny Fresh was on. It was like one of his first early productions before linking up with cash money and then everything that came out of there, you know, Juvenile, Lil Wayne, Turk, BG, the Hot Boys, all of that good stuff that I remember from and my Nicki
1: day. Minaj. Nicki Minaj came out of that group.
0: Mm-hmm. Out of that. Mm, Yeah, so it's just crazy to see how New Orleans just impact the world, not only from music, but from food. I mean, you have Karens and other folks of that trying to gentrify red beans and rice. (laughs) I'm like, come on dog, you cannot gentrify red beans and rice or Popeye's biscuits, which they're biscuits I'm going to be honest. They're better than Bojangles biscuits. I'm from North Carolina. So North Carolina, oh, definitely my head, not to my heart, but Bojangles biscuits are good, but you're going to need at least a gallon of something to drink to wash them suckers down.
2: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, It's hard. You know,
1: being from Louisiana, it's just hard taking other people's uh word or advice about food. Cause I've, I've been to places all over the country and they, Oh, they got good food. They got good food. And you go, Okay. You know, it's kind of a letdown. So, right. yeah, I don't get too excited when people from other states tell me about good food.
2: So, do you think Southern Classics chicken is better than Popeyes, Henderson? I think it. Uh, <laughs> I think Southern Classics chicken is just like.
0: It's like crack.
2: <laughs>
0: chicken <laughs> is chicken. Now you, now chicken is really oh, good no, when it's chicken, is, no, now, now, Chicken is really like, good when it's fresh out that deep fryer, that grease, that's when you know mm-hmm. it's gonna be really good.
1: I, I think side by side, southern classic uh edges out Popeye. Yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah. if you ever
2: come to um to northern Louisiana, you have to have southern classic.
0: Okay. It's and they're
2: also in Texas as well. They're in they're in North Texas as well. But yeah, Southern Classic. Okay. okay. That's what's I,
0: I, I, de- I definitely have to check that out. And then, of course, like you were saying, uh, Derek, about everybody's food culture is not the best. But I'm going to be biased 100% and say North Carolina, we have the best barbecue, hands down. Better than Texas, better than Memphis. What about Missouri? Better than Kansas City. I know mm-hmm. you disagree, but I'm a native North Carolinian. I know. We know barbecue. It, it, it,
1: y'all, y'all like that kind of um, vinegary, tangy But, but now, of now, now
0: with that, I'm going to tell you this. That's Eastern Carolina based barbecue sauce with the vinegar and mm-hmm. the pepper flakes in the apple cider vinegar. That's Eastern Carolina barbecue sauce, which is my neck of the woods. But if you travel mm-hmm. to Western North Carolina, which is like Lexington down in that area, that they use more of a tomato based barbecue sauce. But you take a whole pig, right? You put that thing on the grill, let that cook overnight, get that fire stoked So by the next day, the skin get all nice and crisp. You chop it up real fine. Get you some coleslaw. Get you some hush puppies. And you got yourself a meal there. Mm, I, I just
1: know what I was Did he say
0: a whole pig? I a whole said pig. a whole pig from the rooter to the tutor. That is what we. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I, I, from the you know rooter what? to I the tutor. Think-
1: I think that for sure, you know, if you like that kind of tangy type taste, then, you know, but that's all in the sauce. The Louisiana barbecue is in the preparation and the smoking of the meat. And so you can eat our barbecue, uh, you know, smoked meat without having your barbecue sauce. Uh, so that's the difference. I, I remember when I went to interstate barbecue in Memphis, my first time and uh um, I was with my frat brothers and everybody, you gotta go to Interstate, you gotta go to Interstate. And I went and it was like,
0: mm. I didn't go to mm. Interstate when I went to Memphis. I did go to Gus Fried Chicken though. Their fried chicken is on point at Gus. I, reco- but I when you recommend. Went to, when you
2: were in Memphis though, did you have fried barbecue, I mean fried bologna sandwich or is it is it fried or, or a barbecue bologna? Is something about the bologna sandwich in Memphis. No, I
0: did not have a fried bologna sandwich when I went to Memphis. Now, with fried bologna, I'm a thin-cut bologna man myself, not a thick-cut bologna man. But now, the key to cooking real good fried bologna. Now, for those of you that's listening, listen up. What you do, pour you a little bit of that Crisco in that pan. You cut you a little slit the way it looks like Pac-Man. Let that bubble up real good. Get you some Miracle Whip, not Duke's, Not Hellman's, not your store brand mayo, but Miracle Whip. Spread that on both sides of your bun. Place bologna on top of that. Put a little bit of dollop of mustard, French's, and then you have a nice fried bologna sandwich. (laughs) Now, fried bologna is top five of all-time college struggle meals. I had fried bologna, cereal, hot dogs. I mean, if you've been to college you know you're waiting for that refund check to come in the mail or direct deposit now, then you all know, know all about making that struggle meal or asking somebody like, hey, you got any extra meal? Plan and now it's considered
1: cow? a delicatessen. I mean, I hey, I like thick sliced bologna and I'll go and I don't put it in Crisco, but I will, uh, you know, uh, fry it in my pan and, uh, you know, with cheese and, and Duke's mayo, mm. but... Uh, you know yeah so it's a delicate test now and it just mm. it just ironic how it was considered a struggle meal uh you know back in the gap but now you know by baloney, by choice <laughs>
0: Mm-mm. yeah like like i said it's just crazy how we're talking about gentrification and how if we look at most cities across the country, we're seeing gentrification taking place nationwide. Cause I went to DC about maybe three years ago when I was visiting the Smithsonian museum and how areas that once was considered impoverished and not the most desirable, all of a sudden they're renovating these townhouses and prices have gone up to where people who were once inhabitants of those areas area excuse me are getting priced out to live so are you guys seeing the effects of gentrification in and around the shreveport area
1: it, it's starting to happen uh but it's a slow process um just simply because shreveport is a blue-collar town uh, and so the people who would be able one kinds of people that would want to live downtown foot traffic have access uh, you know uh, be able to walk to and fro from work, uh, just, you know, don't, kind of don't live in Shreveport, would you agree, Constance? Um, You know, Shreveport is a lot of old uh, oil and gas uh, type people. I mean, so it, it, so the idea and the concept was there, but it just did not, um, it didn't take off the way that you know, I think that they, they had planned for, uh, just simply because of the makeup of, of the people. Shreveport is a blue collar town. It's, it's not a town, it's not a white collar town um, at all. And uh, so, and blue collar people, you know, uh, like to live in the suburbs and, you know, in the cul-de-sacs and uh, uh, in the gated communities, that kind of kind of a thing.
0: Mm. So your take, Constance, anything you would like to add? Um,
2: Well, I mean, it's, well, the medium income in Shreveport, well, I will say a few years ago, it was about, I want to say it's like around between 35 and maybe 40 some thousand dollars. I may be wrong, but that, when I first I think went, to, high. I
1: think it's like thirty-two.
2: Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, is it? Well, so I opened years ago, and I thought, so I guess it must have dropped.
1: <laughs> well, because manufacturing yeah, when manufacturing is gone, and you know all the uh, suppliers that went along with manufacturing, so it it has dropped.
0: Mm, it kind of sounds and like. Then and then, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle's like saying it kind of sounds like my neck of the woods a little bit in North Carolina is very rural, very much agricultural. Textiles was the main industry, manufacturing. But once those jobs ended up getting shipped overseas, you know, a lot of people were out of work and had to end up leaving, going to bigger cities to try to find work. Or if you were lucky, you were able to get on at international paper, which is the local paper mill or Lowe's distribution plant or research distribution. So pretty much those type of jobs tend to pretty much fuel a lot of rural areas. So for those of the like myself, whereas if you wanted to obtain more, you had to go to school and get get something, get an education. And with education, as we're seeing, the cost goes up like that roller coaster every year in student loans. I mean, unless you get scholarships, unless you have an athletic or musical talent to where it could pay for your schooling, or if you're like Aunt Becky or some of the rich folks on Full House, pay somebody to get you into school or make a hefty donation so that way you can get in for free. We're seeing that unless you come from Maine, you're sort of getting priced out of the so-called dream, as they say. That's just my opinion. So, any thoughts on that? On education? Yeah, on education, the constant rising cost of education. You know, given COVID, we're seeing a lot of students doing work online and kids, K 12, are learning online and it's putting a strain on not only just the education profession, but also on parents as well. You know, some parents had to make that choice of hey, do I go get this money or do I stay home? take care of the kid and maybe on, go from a two income home to a one income home because I just can't afford it.
1: Well, most people can't afford it. I mean, if you're used to living on a two person income, I mean, most people can't, I mean, loss of any income would be, you know, my opinion, detrimental to, to the family. Uh, it is a sacrifice, uh, you know, for, for us, we chose for my son to go to, uh, Back to tr- to the traditional uh, setting, uh, we were able to go prior to the start of the uh, school year. Uh, my wife, who's a uh, uh, administrator for the school board, uh, we knew the protocol and we trust the, the trusted the protocol. And plus, my I have a kindergartner, and they learn by interacting and, and hands-on. And so, you know, I had reservations. Uh, prior to, uh, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, uh, because my wife is an educator, uh, my son is more disciplined uh, with her. Uh, and so with me, you know, we wouldn't gonna make it, you know, I just, we, we were not gonna make it. And so um, for us that it, that it was not a bad des- decision uh, uh, for us. Now we, we taught him to take all the precautions as possible he will uh, have his mask on in the morning when he get out of the car, when he gets out of my truck. Uh, but every day when I pick him up, the mask is not on, and I say, "Jake, where's the mask?" Where's the mask? And so, but he doesn't like having it on. So I know, as soon as he turns the corner, he's pulling off the mask. So he's already a teenager at five years old. You know, mm. just, 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 you know. But you, you know, you pray to God and you, you hope for the best and. Uh, um you know that that that's that that's as much as I can say. Uh, I think that uh, people probably have an, a a different appreciation for uh, the teaching profession. Uh, it's not as easy as most people think that it is. Uh, requires training and discipline, um, and also. Uh, uh, children who did well in a traditional setting are the ones who are doing well in the virtual setting. The ones who struggled um, in the traditional settings are the ones who are uh, struggling in a virtual setting. And, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of it is based on discipline from the child, uh, but the parents have to be disciplined as well. You know, I can ride through the city at any point during the day uh between 8 and and, and 4 and their kids outside plan. so they're not they're not taking advantage of the virtual process they're just not in school and you know because it's hard uh you know trying to teach a child um, you know, uh, when you don't know anything about classroom structure, you don't know anything about um, uh, order, that th- those kinds of things. And so, you know, again, uh, with all that being said, uh, we knew that by some being in the traditional setting uh, was the only way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add, Constance?
2: Well, my children are grown, so- uh, So you
0: didn't got those problems.
2: Yeah, I don't have those problems, but whenever I'm not deployed, um, I do substitute teach. So I do have an opportunity or I, I mean, I was in the classroom right before COVID-19 hit mm-hmm. and and I was um, working uh, in a, I forget what the area is called, but just to be politically correct, they it was an area of low income, and it was middle school between sixth and eighth graders, and I feel like quite often, you know, well, for starters, education is really, really important to me, and I don't believe that as as a community, I don't think I don't believe we value education. Um, it goes without saying that teachers are not paid what they're worth, especially in Louisiana. That's one of the lowest paying states for educators. Um and then the the I think it's so very important that our schools are are successful and we have far too many schools that are ranking like Ds and Fs. And how does that impact us? Well, when it's time to go to college instead of being able to take your first level classes we're having to take DM or developmental classes in order to be able to catch up and be at the level that we need to be on. And that also impacts us as far as jobs are concerned. When you go in for a job and they ask you to take a basic math test or, they, or to take a basic writing test and you're in, unable to do that. Or if you're working at Walmart or what have you and somebody gives you $10 and you need to give them change and you can't figure out the change yeah that's, that's 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 concerning you know what I mean so so what I I enjoy substitute teaching and I enjoy substitute teaching in that middle school age now when I was in undergrad I substitute taught for middle schoolers and like I said before I'm I'm I'm, I'm only like a little more than maybe 5'1 So sixth graders, they're already taller than me, you know, but I enjoy talking to and dealing with sixth through eighth graders because, you know, that's still like the formative year. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it was the formative years of, you know, middle school kids. And I could relate because I was an educator for about three years I taught special ed middle school yeah. and elementary. Mm-hmm. So um I can yeah, understand yeah. that from that standpoint of how teachers are not paid enough. You know, I was telling people like, hey, I spent at least once one year, maybe three hundred dollars out of pocket on just Supplies for classroom material. And, you know, Mm -hmm. schools are not going to reimburse you. So you definitely got to love the profession. You know, I'm no longer in the education profession, but I still have a soft spot for it because me being on the inside, knowing what goes down. And then, of course, with special ed, I worry about the kids that have IEPs and BIPs and just figuring out how their service hours and their goals are Mm going to be met with the virtual learning because of the pandemic, because I know a lot of kids can't function in this type of environment if they have specific right. learning disabilities or B D or E D and you know, they need a lot more care.
1: And, and it's a problem, you know, uh, and you can't really expect the teachers to have I mean, what what's the resolve? Have the teachers to go into their home? You know, it's just it's, it's, it's just an unfortunate situation it's a catch-22 uh, 22. catch-22 22. but something Constance said earlier you know some colleges are deciding to move away from developmental classes so you can't even take the 09 classes at, at some schools and that is really an alarm at the gate I found that out a week or so ago um, and that oh, wow. you know they, they figured that uh, by the time you get to college I mean you all know how to read and write and you know, they shouldn't have to teach you what's two times two. So, you know? so they're
0: getting rid of a lot of the remedial classes.
1: They, they, they are moving away from it. You know. Wow,
0: man, that's that's that's. They, crazy. they think
1: that you should be you should be prepared when you get there. You should have been prepared before you got there.
0: So pretty much K-12, do your job. So by the time they come to us, they already have the basics and know what to do. And I think this also goes to saying we need to start pushing back more of trade schools because not everybody wants to go to school. Some people may want to go straight to work out of high school. And if you play your cards right, you can make good money. And another big secret, have less debt to do plumbing construction anything working with this you can make good money for it, and there ain't no shaming. it
1: and you make more money than most people who have certifications and degrees at the wazoo so you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah but let me play devil's advocate here we just had our first woman of color that was elected for vice president and we can't continue to have or we we if, if we take that route, how are we going to make the changes? I mean, we, we need to have more African-Americans that are going to college and value in an education because we need to change the laws. We need to be in positions of authority, and you cannot be in those positions of authority if you don't get the degrees.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so we, we need I mean, to be from the uh, from the boardroom to, you know, hands on on the ground level. So yeah, we got need really we, right.
2: Yeah, we need we need more we need more African Americans in college. We we need to number one make sure that as parents that we are getting our children tested to find out what our strengths and weaknesses are. If the strength is in science, then take them and show them different career choices in science. Because even as African-Americans, we have a different disposition to certain illnesses. We have to, we deal with going to the doctor and people not taking us serious. So we need, we need African-Americans in research and development, Mm -hmm. not just as doctors, but as in research and development. We need more African-Americans in politics. We need more African-Americans as prosecutors, Mm -hmm. as lobbyists, or Mm -hmm. even in corporate America. We're not on the CEO level. So I'm not a Booker T. Washington fan. I'm a W.E. Du Bois fan. I am all about education. So for someone to sit there and say, we need to work with our hands, baby, these hands right here, I'm not chopping any cotton. (laughs) My mother picked cotton. My grandmother picked cotton. It's time for us to get out the fields. It's time for us to, you know, it's time for us to use our brains. Like we are smart enough and we're not We're not applying ourselves, we are applying ourselves to athletes, to music, and our hands in the service industry, which is huge in New Orleans. That's the reason why the poverty level is the way it is. So yeah, we we need to start using our brains. We need to exercise our brains Mm
0: -hmm. and we,
2: we can do it. We can. So yeah. I don't. I don't
0: subscribe to that Booker T. Washington theory. And if you at don't all. know who Booker T. Washington is, founder of Tuskegee University, and he had a philosophy of the top tenth. Google it. is definitely way longer than what we can get into on this podcast. So some quick hitters, <laughs> and I'm gonna get you guys on out of here. So, what is okay. the one food that you guys can eat all day, every day that is Louisiana based, and you will not complain about? So, Constance, you first, and Derek, you next. Louisiana food that you can eat all day long and not get sick of. Is alcohol considered food? No. For <laughs> so for some people, I know. For some people, they should have another pyramid on the food group for A. Oh. But no, alcohol does. I'm not just out. kidding. I'm just I kidding. Know. I don't I know, even drink I that. I, I don't even drink that much. I was just trying to give myself
2: an extra. 15 seconds to think. Oh, great play on the um, phone! Yeah, so I don't Let me Let me Henderson, why don't you answer that? I think I need a few more minutes, a few more seconds.
1: You know what? I could probably eat uh, jambalaya all day. Um uh I could eat uh, I like gumbo. Um that's really Louisiana. Um I like Uh, blackened fish Um, it's really good Um, so those are probably the three for
2: me
0: okay
2: so I like uh, shrimp and grits I love shrimp and grits Um, I like I love fried catfish so I always tell people like Texas they are big on barbecues uh, to me, people in Louisiana are big on fish fries.
0: Mm. So
2: yeah, so f- some f- some fried fish with jambalaya. Sounds Undo- like I need it. to
0: find a church fundraiser that says fish fry for seven dollars, <laughs> going towards so and so's building fund. Cause I can do a yes. good fish fry plate, and I got to you know confess- what?
1: And Go ahead. Undo with sausages, uh beignets. If you find if you find the right beignets, are really good. Yeah.
0: Now, for me, it would have to be po' boys. Now, for those who don't know what a po' boy is, get, you got to get some French baguette bread and get you some shrimp, some fish, some oysters, and whatever toppings you want, like tomatoes, lettuce, whatever. Put that on real nice. You got you a nice, good, thick po' boy sandwich. That'd be for me. So, that I always wanted to come to Louisiana because I'm a foodie. So, I'm temple, like, I don't <laughs> care what y'all serve. I just want shrimp, fish, oysters, gumbo, po'boys, beignets from Cafe Du Monde. And if I come down during oh, yes. Mardi Gras, some king cake. You know, I don't like Cafe Du Monde. So you, you, you think, so, like the, the, so you uh, think it's overrated chicken. and it's just for tourists? It's, it's definitely for
1: tourists. The beignets so, are not good.
0: I'll be in that number, though. But, um... Speaking of New Orleans, (laughs) like I was telling you earlier, my pastor's from Louisiana. And whenever he would preach at my church and we would play When the Saints Come Marching In, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. Saints in the same division. I do not stand or sing when that song come on. That's how petty of a fan I am. Sorry, Saints fans. (laughs) I hope Drew Brees retires soon, Tom Brady as well, so that the Panthers can take the division. Keep pounding. Yes, I said it. So before we close, tell us a little bit about Circle of Truth and where can folks hear it?
2: So so Circle of Truth, we do have a Facebook platform. And um, also if you go to my, I'm sorry about that. If you go to my page, Constance Love, or you go to Derek Henderson's page, we do have our um, our podcasts on there. We've had, I don't know, maybe about eight or nine podcasts. We started our the theme of our podcast and we also have a, a, a Facebook page as well. And it's called, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? So where do we go from here? And we do have, yeah, some of the various podcasts. The very last podcast that we recorded was... Um, dealing with reparations. Um, We've, like I said, we've had uh, W.E. Du Bois on there. We've also discussed police brutality behind the blue curtain. So we've talked about a variety of topics and we're going to resume, within the next couple of weeks, we're gonna resume taping. We had to put it on hold because it's hurricane season and um, just been really, we really been busy. Okay. Yeah. With I, work, I so. like
1: to think of Circle of Truth is the place where the players, politicians, mm-hmm. professionals can all come and represent their point of view on any issue and it's respected. I think that that's one thing that, uh, uh, that we don't value. I think we tend to want to uh, make black people to be monolithic And we're just as diverse as any other race of people. And so for me, that's what I really appreciate about the Circle of Truth is that, you know, my thought, my opinion may not be the same as yours, but uh, I can respect it. And so uh, because I can meet people where they are. And so Circle of Truth provides that kind of a a platform, uh, in my opinion.
0: All right. And uh, give out the Facebook page where folks can catch previous episodes and where they can like and follow when new episodes resume. So it's uh, where do we go from
2: here? Either that or if you want, where do we go from here is if you want to check out the different uh, podcasts, or you can go on my personal page, which is Constance Love, or you can go to Ynet Love. I have it on there as well. Now, if you're interested in different topics of discussion, then you can go into the platform Circle of Truth. And within that platform, we do post or I post a variety of questions. Talk about everything. everything. Yeah, everything, everything. We might talk about dating. We might talk about polygamy. We may talk about um, viewpoint Trump, uh, Biden, Kamala Harris. We may talk about, you know, mental health issues in the African American community. We talk about um, the fact that <laughs> this is not something positive. Louisiana is either number one or number two with um, domestic, domestic violence, violence. Mm-hmm. in the African American community. We talk about that. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of things. And sometimes we laugh and sometimes people get upset. I'm I'm very interactive. Henderson, not so much, but I'm very interactive in the group. Uh, If you guys have been watching this, you already see I have a little edge. So I'm that person that will post a question. And if someone says something, I'm going to challenge you.
0: Mm, So have your your thinking cap on, people, and be ready to debate and back up your opinions with facts. And I definitely got to say this. We got to learn to agree to disagree. That's just my little two cents. That's more I could get into, but I choose not to because the statements reflected by me does not reflect Constance Love or Derek Henderson. So you guys got any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview and also plug social media?
1: I'd just like to send a shout out to my uh, five-year-old son, Jaden and to my wife, Shannon, um, to my family, and uh, that's it.
0: All right, Constance
2: um well i want to send a shout out uh to my sons i have three adult sons (sighs) i hate to say this (laughs) and then i have two granddaughters and i have a grandson okay yeah so other than that. Yeah, I like to say this. The
1: look, they, they, this is nothing about your age. They could have started. Yes, it does. Because no, they, look, they could have started early.
2: <laughs> yeah, I started when I was like 10 years old. <laughs> so so I had I, my I was own.
1: talking about I was talking about the boys, not you.
2: Oh okay. The young so young yes, I, yes. So I had my son on the first podcast mm. and he was like, Well, this is my mother. And then he kept talking about his wife and two kids and one on the way. And you should have seen the looks on the guys. They were like, so when Nathan stepped off the platform, they were like, oh, grandma.
0: Well, don't get beat all man. So you can catch this interview on wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, and the video portion of this interview will be available on my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. youtube.com slash j 5 Ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause for Miss Constance Love and Derek Henderson from the podcast Circle of Truth. Thank you all for coming on to the podcast and doing this interview.
1: Thank you for having us. And I yes. want to encourage all the people in Georgia to... Um, Go register to register at least five additional people to go vote and then to make sure that they get back to the polls on January 5th.
0: All right. Anything else you want to add, Constance, before we close?
2: Or are you good? I am. I mean, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing us an opportunity to come on your platform. It's different sitting on this side and someone else is in control and asking the questions. So thank you very much for giving us an opportunity to come on your platform and kind of see what it's like being in the hot seat, Mm -hmm. kind of going unscripted. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I I also, you know, you've been very, very instrumental, very, very helpful um, in me helping expand expanding my brand. So I
0: want to thank you for being willing to share information, huh? I said no problem. It's all about helping and connecting. If I got something, you got something. It's helping each other and then they get paid back tenfold in return.
2: Yes, and I appreciate that. I really do. I now, appreciate say, that very much.
1: Are you are you in New Mexico? Is that where you are, Gerald?
2: Yes,
0: right I am on. in New Mexico. Uh, and the black people in New mexico there are, there, <laughs> yes there are black people in how mexico. many five um how no many? no no it's more than five so the area where i'm at the population is super small was well, big for me because the town i come from in north carolina is like 1100 but when i lived in albuquerque for a year It's maybe about five, six percent, but a lot of people are East Coast transplants from the Carolinas, Maryland, whatever, what have you, because we have military presence in Albuquerque with Air Force Base and Sandia Labs is based out of Albuquerque. So a lot of people's out there to work, but you have a few people that stay here for quite a bit, but mostly some you stay for a spell and then you move on to the next.
1: So Uh, they're there working not just because.
0: Yeah, they, they're there for work, not just because. Because I like New Mexico. It's different. I'll tell you guys more about that in just a second. Ladies and gentlemen, Constance Love and Derek Henderson from Circle of Truth. Thank you guys for coming on to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having us, Thank you.
0: Kid. All right. So.